This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, Clock Dodgers, what's up? It's your host, Neil. Before we get to the episode, which is a great episode, if I may add, it's a uh, a draft recap episode. So for those in Dynasty drafts and, um, you know, rookie drafts and things like that, you're really going to like this episode or just to hear how your team did on some of their players. Um, we have a great guest. So it was, it was really fun. The conversation was good. A lot of laughs, uh, as always, and a lot of information. So um, I want to get you to that really quick. But before I do that, if you're listening right now, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, it's super critical that you do. So please pause and do so. Um, if you haven't left a review, please pause and do so. If you have any friends or family members or anybody at all that you know who doesn't listen to the podcast, who isn't subscribed to the podcast or hasn't left a review, please ask them to do so. Don't forget to visit clockdodgers.com for other exclusive content, great articles on all kinds of stuff. Don't forget shirts will be on sale soon. Again, bring it back the old clock Dodgers shirts. So be on the lookout for those wristbands have been on sale. They may the price may get a drop soon, so keep an eye on that. Other than that, guys, keep following us on all social media platforms at Clock Dodgers on Twitter, Periscope, Instagram, and all those good things. I'll see you guys on the other end of this episode later. NFL draft in the books, all the bright lights, wild draft pick announcements, fans booing the commissioner, Roger Goodell, it's all behind us. So we're left with a shitload of rookies on new teams and wondering how this is going to, you know, shake out, how this is going to affect fantasy football, the NFL in general. Um, I got my fellow clock Dodger, Adam, with me, you know, the, the new owner of a Chicago Bears, Mitchell Trubisky jersey. Welcome, my friend. Uh, only so I can burn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Adam, when I thought about a guest for today's podcast, obviously you were an easy choice. I like to argue with you, so you're great. But I also wanted a guest who could, you know, recap the NFL draft with us, one who knows a lot about rookies. And, you know, we're obviously going to discuss a lot of those. Um, but not just that. One who has, a, you know, obviously a real passion for scouting for research on these guys in college and how they translate to the NFL. So who better than a person who is a correspondent with Pro Football Focus, a scout friend ET scouting, and if you follow him on Twitter, a guy who doesn't really hold back or ride fences when it comes to his opinion. I'm really looking forward to this chat. What's up, Elliot Chris? How's it going, man? I appreciate for having uh appreciate you having me. No problem, um, man. Didn't realize I was a guy that doesn't hold back on his opinion. You don't, man. You don't. You give your opinion. You know, some guys are like, eh, you know, it could be either way. But, you know, you just give it straight, you know? I, I guess if I do the research and believe something in a guy, you're not going to tell me one thing and then I immediately start back. Exactly. But exactly. I love to try to have conversations and see what you're seeing. 
you know what I mean? And yes. try to figure out why I'm not seeing it and push the conversation forward. For sure. And that's, that's an important part of the process. And some people don't have that. Some people do, but you do. So it's great. Um, before we dive into the NFL draft and, you know, the actual rookies and where they went and everything, I just wanted to really, just for fun here, kind of get an idea of what you both do um, for the draft. Like for me, it's real simple. It's real basic. I don't, you know, I'm a Raiders fan and I'm also a big fantasy guy. So I try to you know, look at what my Raiders are going to do, who I'm going to look to target in fantasy drafts and dynasty and stuff like that. But obviously I assume me and you, uh, Elliot have a way different <laughs> prep because you do this pretty heavily. Um, so just, I guess we'll start with you. You're the guest. I just want to kind of get an idea of like what you do leading up to drafts, like right, right before it, like now I know you put in a lot to work before all way before all that, but I just mean like right leading up to it. And then during the draft, are you like still working or now are you enjoying it and all that kind of stuff? Just kind of give us an idea of what your draft, um, you know, is just taking it all in what it is for you. So it'll be a little different this year because I'll do more in the summer and, and try to have like a top 100 sorted out going into the college football season and build off that. But last year I I started late December um, between my uh, NFL and college work that I had to do for Pro Football Focus. Um, and then after the national championship, I probably put in 10 to 12 hours a day watching film um, and working on pieces and doing research on teams in terms of fits and stuff like that. Um, I know this is a fantasy podcast, but I really enjoy defensive backs Mm -hmm. and understanding schemes like how often a team runs cover three versus cover one, cover six, cover two, you know what I'm saying? Like off man versus press and really focusing on what corners do there. So I spent a lot of time doing that. Um, I also try to look a little ahead to next year's class to kind of get an understanding of what teams might think in terms of whether or not this is a year to pass on a certain position to try to hit one next year. Um, but basically, you know, 10 to 12 hours a day of film and writing wow. from January to the day of the draft. And then on draft day, I kind of... Draft day is always my sister's birthday, too. Oh. So get together <laughs> with my family for about an hour and a half before the draft where everyone's enjoying stuff and having a good time, and I'm I'm antsy and jumping around and nervous. And then this year I was on two podcasts um, for the first two days of the draft, and then day three I sat and watched it. And with each pick I try to process that information and internally think about how it um, fits with the team. And now the next week or two, I'll kind of evaluate everything and write different pieces about how certain teams really improved, fantasy aspects for different guys, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so you're in there deep. Yeah, I try to kick back, relax, enjoy it, but you're like constantly breaking it down, right? And that's interesting. And and, and, like, and like I said, you can enjoy it either way, you know, the way you're doing it, which you're still enjoying it, but it's also, you know, a lot of work. And then, Adam, where are you at, man? Are you in between us here? Are you with me? Just kind of sit back and relax and enjoy the whole thing, or are you like already instantly processing it too? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'd say I was like instantly processing it, but I mean, the draft this year was it was crazy. <laughs> I mean, I think we all kind of had that same takeaway watching it. It was pretty insane. I mean, really just from the second pick and, you know, I'm sure we'll we'll touch on that a little bit, but as a Bears fan, that was a little crazy to uh watch go down. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, my basic setup like 
in the background, I had the actual NFL draft on the NFL Network, but that was muted because I'm not listening to those guys. So, uh, ironically enough, I actually was listening to Elliot on one of the tabs that I had open uh, when he was on the Power Hour podcast. Uh, they were doing a you know live reaction show, which was fun. Uh, but unfortunately, that stream, at least for me, was cutting in and out a lot. So I also had open on another tab the uh, the Yahoo. Um, fantasy football, or I think it was just Yahoo football, Yahoo sports page, um, which Matt Kelly was uh, doing a guest appearance. Uh, Matt Kelly from player profiler was doing some work on there. So I had, you know, the power hour in one tab. I had that in another. And then I also just had another tab open that was kind of going over the picks and and the incoming picks. And that was kind of how Thursday night looked. And Friday for me was a little bit more chaotic because I was working. So I was following like the beginning of Friday's draft, mostly on my way home on the train. So it wasn't as nice of a setup, but honestly, I mean, I got into a little bit of a conversation with 14 team mocker on, uh, on Twitter about the idea that like some people were reacting that they were getting spoiled by Twitter for the <laughs> draft, which to me was just the most absurd thing in the world. Cause like if you're on Twitter and you're hearing the picks you are experiencing the draft like right. there's nothing there's nothing to see here no, <laughs> I, 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 I even mentioned watching. i even mentioned myself though i i do I, I do like seeing it on the tv like it unfolding on the tv i mean i i was on twitter all day watch people's reactions to it but i just don't like the twitter accounts that are like blasting it out like a two minutes a minute before it's actually happening and it's like what is the point of that i guess maybe it just annoys me because like people are trying to be cool or something i don't know but i prefer just to let oh, it unfold see. on tv and then well, see the reaction on twitter Sorry to interrupt, but I was just going to say, as someone who didn't have a TV in front of him, like, I relied on yeah. those people to get me the information. Yeah. So I think it's kind of that balancing act, yeah. uh, ultimately. You can't please all the people all no, the time. No, for sure. I think people would like if you could just, you know, wait for the pick to be announced and then one second later do it. When, yeah, that's what I prefer. You know, especially on, like, day two or day three when it's like the pick is in and they're about to announce and the next team's on the clock. And then, you know, one of the... Ex- experts tweets out what's happening in two picks like as a Jets fan I don't go on Twitter like for the first three picks before a Jets pick just because I want to see it unfold on TV and have that anticipation <laughs> yeah if I'm the same way yeah it's just a weird thing I don't know but I, I definitely it was cool all you know on Twitter you have all the different social media apps Twitter uh I, I fantasy life app all these things and then like you guys said there was a lot of podcasts doing like live shows uh Ellie was also on a th- fantasy authority shout out to those guys they had a cool little setup going so it was pretty cool how everybody had their own little I guess you could say draft parties or something going on so it was pretty cool you know that whole thing but definitely man stop trying to spoil the picks it just annoys me <laughs> after the fact though it's cool I love breaking it down after the fact but what we're going to do, guys, is you know how we roll here. We do a bunch of different kind of segments and stuff and play some games and everything to make it fun and interesting. So we're going to we're going to dive into the running backs as the running backs seem like the most talked about group kind of just I don't know, just from surveying the landscape. It seems like that's the group that everybody is really interested in and, and trying to make sense of it all. So we're going to do a, a no way, Jose, for real, for real uh, running back edition. Uh, so you guys ready for that? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. And for those who are new, who maybe never played the game, never heard the game, or just want to be reminded, basically, I'm just going to throw statements out that, you know, I'm seeing around, maybe I heard on TV, things that are just come up and people are asking questions and stuff. And the statements sometimes may be crazy to you. So if they are, then they're no way, Jose. Um, if you think you're in line with it, then it's for real, for real. So uh, we're going to jump right into that. The first one is Dalvin Cook will be the starting running back in Minnesota from day one. Elliot, we'll let you go first since you're the guest. Yeah, for real, for real. For real, for no, real. I mean, 
No doubt about it. You don't trade up to pick 41 to get Dalvin Cook to start uh, to not start him. I mean, Latavius Murray is the definition of a jag. Um, McKinnon actually could probably help him out a little bit on third down. Not that Cook can't catch, but just with his pass blocking issues. Um, yeah, Cook is a no-brainer starter uh, running back for me. And just just really quick before we let Adam go here, um, how much does Latavius Murray and McKinnon bother you as far as dealing with Cook also in fantasy? Like, how, how does that whole situation affect you? Do you do you do you not care about the other two at all because Cook's there now, or do you still you know feel like they all kind of hurt each other? I mean, I don't know if there's a running back that one in the top four running backs that don't have two other backs to compete with them for touches. Right. Um, so it doesn't really bother you that he landed there, really. Yeah, I mean, McKinnon, McKinnon, I think, will get some receptions, but he's kind of proven that he's not going to take away a whole bunch of touches. And I think Latavius Murray is is kind of like, I don't know, I think he's going to be very, see very limited usage. Right, I got gotcha. you. Adam, do you agree with that, man? Are you, are you in that same line? Yeah, I think Delvin Cook as a starter is for real, for real. Ultimately, I mean, like Elliot touched on, they're not going to trade up and use second-round value to draft a guy if they're not planning on utilizing him. I mean, ultimately, running back in the NFL to me feels like a young man's game, and he is their pick to be to be that guy. It's interesting to me that they went out in free agency and signed Latavius Murray and, and really paid him a good amount just to then turn around and draft a uh, – a really high-level running back prospect in day two and to trade up on top of that, so to spend a lot of draft capital to acquire him. It seemed really interesting. I'm not really sure what Minnesota's thinking kind of from a development perspective. Um, But, yeah, like Elliot touched on, I think that, you know, he's going to emerge as the guy in Minnesota. But for me, for a fantasy perspective, I'm really not a big fan of anybody in that backfield, just ultimately because their O-line is so terrible. I mean, right now on PFF, they have one of the worst graded offensive lines. They're ranked 29th out of 32. So for me, with teams that just have these poor offensive lines, I just, I'm just i not banking on them really being able to show a lot for fantasy. Right, right. So it sounds like we all agree. I mean, as far as Dalvin Cook, he's, he's going to be the guy there. There's no question. Certainly it hurts a lot for guys who are kind of, you know, putting a lot of faith in Latavius Murray and McKinnon who still were holding on to that guy. But, um, you know, it, I think it, all, it hurts all of them across the board, but obviously we all agree that Dalvin Cook is by far the most talented back there. There's no question about it. He's going to be the most fantasy relevant quarter running back there. There's no question about it. So, you know, it just kind of just, I don't know. I think a lot of people wanted him to go other places for some reason, because it seemed like when he went there overall, at least on Twitter and stuff like that, it seemed like people were shocked. You know, they didn't seem like they really, um, but we're expecting that. So I just, you know, I was curious what you guys thought, but it sounds like we all agree. Day one starter, really no question. The next one, Leonard Fournette will finish the season as a top 12 running back in PPR scoring, Elliot. Oh, no way. How was that? In okay. PPR? Absolutely not. Okay. Standard? I mean. Chance, maybe? Yeah. I mean, Leonard Fournette's the kind of guy that dominates at the second and third level of the line of scrimmage with his speed, power, speed and power combination. He, sh- he can struggle a little bit at the first line, building up his power, his lateral quickness, and his vision. The Jaguars don't have a great offensive line to begin with. Um, and he doesn't catch the ball very well out of the backfield. He didn't do much of it at, L- at LSU. Um, they're going to get him involved, but I don't think he's going to catch a whole bunch of passes. So I, I wouldn't bank on him being a top-12 guy. Plus, he's got an, an injury history. 
Right. So I, I don't think he's a top 12 guy year one. Right. And, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, obviously, shocked a lot of people. Well, some people weren't shocked, but he did do the job and did it extremely well. And so people obviously are now looking for the next Ezekiel Elliott. And I think that's where people are looking at Leonard Fournette right now. Adam, do you think he could be top 12 running back in PPR? Yeah, no way, Jose. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, as far as like a points per game perspective goes, because ultimately I think the running back position really does get divided up in that way for fantasy. There's guys who are successful on a points per game basis. And then, you know, you have guys like Frank Gore who can play 16 games and end up in the top 12 of PPR just because they played 16 games. Right. So for him, I mean, if somehow he plays 16 games, then maybe he finishes in the top 12 just from a health perspective. Um, but as Elliot touched on, that's really no guarantee. He, he has had injuries in the past, so it's not like he's a guy who, you know, you can just rely on to play these 16 games. And from a points per game standpoint, I mean, it's not really a dynamic offense that he's heading into. So he's not going to get those like really exciting red zone touches. And ultimately, I think, you know, from an offensive line perspective, as Elliot touched on, they're, they're not really an exciting offensive line who's going to be able to break open holes. So, you know, Elliot really kind of hit it out of the park. If, if he doesn't have those holes broke open for him, he's not going to be able to do the things that are, you know, the most exciting features of his game. Right. So between for both of you, all, all things considered between Cook and Fournette and PPR, which one are you guys higher on? Is there is there one that stands out for sure to you guys, or is this just kind of a... You know, you're not crazy about either one or you, you know, just like they're both going to be around the same. Where do you guys like these guys? Like, do you compare to each other? I would take Cook, Cook's PPR ceiling is higher than Fournette's PPR ceiling because he's a much better receiver. Um, Fournette's a better pass blocker, but which means that he's more likely to stay in to protect the quarterback than Cook is. Right, so you like um, Yeah, I think Cook's got a better home run percentage. He can create more big plays than Fournette can consistently. Um Neither one goes behind a great offensive line, but you know T.J. Yeldon can still do a little something. They paid Ivory all that money. Um, I think those are bigger threats to Fournette's touches than McKinnon and Murray are to Cooks. Interesting, Adam. You too. Yeah, um, I mean, really, I'm not probably not going to have either of these guys on right. my fantasy teams. I just think ultimately where they're going to land in ADP, they're not going to be guys that I acquire. Um, but I, I'm kind of on the opposite side of Elliot here, but. Maybe even for similar reasons, just kind of feel a little bit different about the the guys behind them. Like for me, Minnesota paid Latavius Murray. Right. They might still want to give him carries just because they spent the money on him. And from a prospect perspective, I've always really liked Jarek McKinnon, especially what he's able to do on third down, both from a run blocking perspective and a receiving perspective. So for me, I just think that the workload might be a little lower. Um, plus, maybe from an offensive perspective, I. You know, it, it's kind of a toss-up, you know, having Blake Bortles for Sam Bradford as your quarterback. Neither one are super promising, but right. ultimately I think that Blake Bortles has shown in the past, at least from a fantasy perspective, that he can really be like a high-volume kind of guy. I don't really know if that's going to help Fournette, but it might put him in more situations to fall into the end zone. Yeah, so it's going to be fun to I see I these fall. two guys and how they progress. And if you're in dynasty leagues and stuff, it's going to be it's going to be fun, man. It's going to be fun to see how those two guys go. The next one is Kareem. Oh, was you say something? Yeah, one quick point on yeah. Fournette, too, um, and, and Bortles, is that that Jaguars defense is now really good. Yep. Um, and a lot of what Bortles has done has come in garbage time. And I don't know if there's going to be as much garbage time anymore. It's you know what I'm saying? That defense is gonna, the defense is going to keep them in a lot of games, and they may turn into some low-scoring sco- low slugfests. So Jaguars overall may go down. 
that's an that's, interesting. Yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's an interesting position. Yeah, man. I don't know. It's gonna be fun. But Cook, I think I like I like Cook's you know the potential, like you said, as far as the big plays and that kind of stuff. I think he'll have more of those. So he's fun to watch. We'll see. We'll see. I know some people don't believe in Cook at all. So we'll see. Um, the next guy, Kareem Hunt, will be the Chiefs' running back to own in dynasty over where Elliot. Oh, that's for real, for real. I love Kareem Hunt. Oh, when you throw on his, his his metrics might not or his measurables might not be the best thing ever, but when you throw on his tape, he can play football. And he runs with great balance. He's got power, speed, quickness, vision, um, elusiveness. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He does not fumble. He needs to improve his pass blocking. But he's better than Spencer Ware right now and profiles as someone that can be a three-down back behind a good offensive line and offense that uses a running back a lot. Um, he, can, he can project to be a top 10 running back wow. in fantasy overall. Maybe not his first year, but his second year if he develops um i love kareem hunt i'm all in on him wow awesome i love kareem hunt too I- i'm one of those weird guys that actually like spencer Ware. <laughs> he's, he's like incredibly hated it seems like but i actually like him i mean i think they're gonna kind of split it 50 50 but i love you know your passion behind kareem hunt man adam are you a big fan of hunt i know I, you're not a big Ware fan right so yeah i mean i think he's for real pharrell um ultimately yeah i'm not a huge Ware guy i actually own him on one dynasty team and i've just held him because ultimately i feel like if they didn't draft somebody andy reed does build an offense that can be successful for running backs so i thought he had a good opportunity but you know hunt was a guy that if they draft with them drafting him there i think that he has the potential to beat out Ware. and really it's a, it's a great opportunity as elliot touched on i mean it possesses huge upside andy reed has shown over the course of his career that he's able to scheme an offense that really supports gigantic running back production as we've seen with jamal charles and sean mccoy all the way back to like brian westbrook there's guys that he's built around that have been really successful for fantasy. So I think Hunt, especially in dynasty leagues, is, is the guy that you should be targeting and, and has really high upside potential. Yeah. I'm seeing, we're seeing a running theme here, obviously. All these rookie running backs, like they get us excited. And, you know, even even over the guys that are there sometimes that are already there, that are the veterans on the team, we still get excited over these high talent running backs. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter who's there right now. We still love these guys and what they can do. Um, any other hits on Kareem Hunt before we move on to the next guy? Everyone good? Got him covered. Um, the next one, Samaje Perine. He went to Washington, right? So Samaje Perine will have a better season in PPR scoring than Joe Mixon year one, Elliot. Yeah, no way, Jose. Or whatever comes after, no way, Jose. <laughs> um, Ryan is a... i sorry. I keep saying his name wrong. Is, no worries. It's, it's built like a two-down power back in the mold of Rob Kelly with Chris Thompson to take all the the catches away from him. Joe Mixon is base, may get Jeremy Hill cut and is better at G, Giovanni Bernard's role than Bernard is. Um, Mixon fell in the draft because of his... I mean, because he hit that girl when he was 18 years old. Right. Um, if he didn't do that he would have been a top 15 pick. I mean, he can do everything. His comparison is LaShawn McCoy by a lot of people. He's elusive in the open field. He's great catching the ball. He has a wide variety of routes. He can go up the field and actually catch the ball 20 yards down the field. Um, His cutback ability in terms of running behind an offensive line is fantastic. Now, the Bengals did lose Whitworth and and, uh, 
Zeitler or Zeitler or whatever, however you pronounce his name, I'm blanking on it. But <laughs> their offensive line uh, did take a hit there, and the Redskins' offensive line is better. But Joe Mixon, Joe Mixon, far and away for me. Gotcha, Adam. You agree? Yeah, this is Joe Mixon for me too. I mean, I talked about it on the podcast before. Joe Mixon for me was the most talented running back in this class, and unfortunately, he did a horrible thing. And because of that, he was really impacted. I mean, there was a lot of talk that he had the potential, even by some people's counts, to go undrafted. But really, all it takes is one team. The Bengals were that team, and. The Bengals seem to have this history of being able to take risks on guys um, from kind of a, you know, personal development standpoint. Right. They don't really care about your transgressions. They care about what you do on the football field. And ultimately, he's going to get pushed into a role that he could actually be successful right away. I mean, Giovanni Bernard is coming back off injury. They don't seem to like Jeremy Hill there. So for me, I mean, this is not just you know great for joe mixon but it was like a great landing spot for him to have immediate impact i will say that for samaji p ryan i think that being with washington he probably is going to be out rob kelly right away and he will have that like two down thumper role behind a really good offensive line in what should be a dynamic offense so i i honestly i like both these guys but for me it's far and away joe mixon yeah. Now, one thing that scares me with Piran is I really, like, some of his film is really good. But one thing he has a huge habit of doing is relying on his power. Like, he's, he's a really powerful back, but he would avoid holes or avoid um, the ability to cut it outside where there's room to run. And he would just try to run over people consistently. And the last running back that, remind, that did that coming into the NFL that had a great college career was Andre Williams. Yeah. And then we know how his career has turned out. Um, also, he comes out of the, like Mixon, he comes out of the Big 12 where there's a lot of six defenders in the box spread out and his power is seen against lesser defenders. So there are question marks with Piran in my mind. Right. Yeah, I think everyone's a fan of Mixon. It's hard to go against him as far as um, his, his, his game, you know, how he plays. Um, so I don't, I don't know if anybody would side against Mixon on this, but um, it, it is funny. Like Elliot said, all, all these guys are, are coming into kind of crowded backfields, even Mixon, you know, with uh, with those two that you mentioned earlier. But again, we don't seem worried about those guys as much. You know, I don't know. It's just one of those things. Um, so it's it's interesting. We'll see how it goes. The, the, the last one I wanted to throw at you guys um, with these running backs, I want to kind of group a bunch of them up, which is um, Jeremy McNichols, uh, Dante Foreman and Alvin Kamara will all be fantasy relevant this upcoming season. Obviously, that's kind of a perspective, you know, perspective depending on how, what you consider relevant, but just, you know, as best as you can, um, Elliot, no way, Jose, or for real, for real on that. Yeah, the first thing when I saw this question, I was going to say, what is fantasy relevant? Right, that's what I mean. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, just kind of like, you know, yeah. guys that you really want to kind of focus on, maybe you feel like they're, they're big-time sleepers or, you know, can really be useful rather than just, you know, guys that you can't predict at all, you know? Yeah, I'll say I'll say no way, Jose, just because um, all of them are going into crowded backfields. I don't like Foreman as a prospect. I like Kamara and I like McNichols. But, I mean, after reports that the Bucks might cut Doug Martin, now we're hearing that, he looks incredible. Yeah. And Foreman, Foreman goes to um, the Texans behind a not-great offensive line where Lamar Miller's still going to be the guy. He's going to be a change-of-pace um, power guy. I didn't like his film very much. Alvin Kamara goes to New Orleans where he's definitely going to be a third down back. Um, and that's shown that that can be very profitable 
for uh, Saints running back specifically. I like him the most of these three guys in terms of making a year one impact. Um, but Adrian Peterson, they just paid him, and they have Mark Ingram, who Sean Payton continues to forget is on the roster. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's weird. <laughs> that's a really um, weird McNichols, situation. McNichols can really catch the ball out of the backfield, and it's interesting because watching him, he's got some Doug Martin traits, but it's if Martin stays there and Charles Sims can do work on third down, I don't know, he's going to need an injury in order to make a year one impact. Right. Yeah, and it's one of those things, like you said, with guys like Doug Martin and Mark Ingram, these guys, you know, we could even see them get traded. And if they did, obviously, that changes these guys completely. But um, it, it is, man, these guys are interesting. Adam, do you feel the same way? Or, I mean, are, are you a fan of Foreman? Obviously, Lamar Miller's there. And some people are worried that Foreman is going to affect that, you know, affect what, even what Lamar Miller can do. I don't know. Are, are you a fan of that? Or are you thinking none of these guys would be relevant either? Well, first and foremost, I'll say from a relevancy standpoint, I'm going to say it's for real, for real, um, just simply because we see it every year. I mean, running backs are going to get injured and guys who are young are going to get opportunities. So ultimately, the way you get on the field quickest in the NFL these days is by having that pass catching ability. And that's what's great for McNichols and Kamara in this situation. I mean, Ellie touched on it. McNichols really, to me, he kind of is like a combination of Doug Martin and Charles Sims from what he's able to do on the field. Now, I don't know if he has that level of talent, especially at the NFL level, that's to be seen. Um, but from what we saw from him in college, he he's a dynamic receiver and he runs hard. I mean, he is one of those guys who ultimately I thought from you know, kind of a prospect standpoint that he was going to be somebody that no matter where he went, he was going to get on the field early. And the Bucks, I mean, they should be a really dynamic offense. So there's potential there, but it's, again, really crowded backfield. Um, similar with Kamara, he seems like a guy who's really ideal for Sean Payton, but you run the risk again now of another situation where they brought in a veteran and they have Mark Ingram there, who honestly I feel like Sean Payton kind of hates, but, you know, that's overall, it seems like that's the fantasy joke right now, but from what we've seen over the course of Mark Ingram's career, they've never really given him a big workload, and I don't think that they ever planned to, so this just seemed to kind of fit with what they want to do. I think Trevar's cadet's probably going to get cut, and Kamara will move into that sort of role where it's like that old Darren Sproles role in the Saints offense. So from a fantasy relevancy standpoint, I think for any of these guys, it's going to take an injury. Um, I didn't even touch on Foreman. I think Foreman's only relevant if Lamar Miller goes down. Um, I'm not a huge Lamar Miller guy, but ultimately, I just I don't see Foreman beating him out by any stretch of the imagination. So, again, these are like handcuffs, maybe waiver wire darling type players. But from a fantasy relevancy standpoint, running backs can get injured. So any of these guys could be waiver wire darlings. Gotcha. Before we leave these running backs, do either one of you have anything that you feel like should be mentioned on any of these guys or guys that we didn't mention that you really think should be touched on? Wayne Gallman. Gallman? You got a big fan? Oh, Gallman's my guy. I had him as my RB7. I had a second-round grade on him. He didn't test very well. He ran behind an overrated Clemson offensive line. People liked it, but it wasn't very good. It was um, it was protected. I, I guess its image was protected based on how quickly they, they threw the ball. But um, Gallman is a powerful one-cut runner that finishes runs. He can run through you. He has the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, though he needs to develop his route tree. His pass blocking is inconsistent, but he's got the the power to be able to do it. And he's going to be the first and second down back, and he's better than Paul Perkins in New York. 
um, and has the potential if Perkins goes down to be a three down workhorse back. Yeah, and it's great that you mentioned this because you know I want, we're going to go to listener questions really fast. And listener questions, the first one I actually had was from a gentleman at Two Drink Minimum, um, and he and he asked that exact question: What do we do with the Giants' backfield? You know, as far as for this upcoming season and dynasty, it's obvious Gallman for you is the guy. So, are you, so do you think Gallman and Perkins are going to like split it, or or where are you going with that when you say Gallman is going to be the, the best back there? Yeah, so I would say that Gallman's going to do first and second, and Perkins will do third. I don't. I know Vereen's on a team, but I don't really care. He'll play two games and then be hurt if history <laughs> tells us anything. Um, and now with Gallman, do you think they'll still add a guy like Blunt, or they're done with that? No, I. If they add Blunt, then my my hype on Gallman goes away. Okay. Um, just because they would be doing a lot of the same thing. I just don't know why you would spend the draft capital on Gallman where you did, and then sign Blunt. Right. Um. But the Giants do weird things with running backs sometimes. Sometimes they want four or five guys on the team and never know which one to put on the field. Right. Um, but if it stays as it is, I want Wayne Gallman. Nice. Yeah. I have, you know, Perkins in some leagues and I've been wondering the same thing. You know, he, I mean, he closed out the season not too bad. But then, like you said, they add Gallman, who's obviously talented, underrated, but talented. And then, you know, obviously people are going to mention Vereen, especially in PPR. They think they're still going to use him. And then there's always the Lumen, you know, getting a guy like Blunt or something like that, a veteran, um, to add to the mix. And you are right. They have in the past seemed to have a lot of running backs, you know, four guys. And they actually use them all and kind of, you know, mix it up however they feel fit. So, you know, I, I think like I think you're right. As long as they don't add anybody, it's Gallman and Perkins. You know, who should people who people should focus on? We just don't know, obviously, how that'll play out. But that's those are those are the guys that focus on. Adam, do you have any anything that you feel about the Giants' backfield, or are you just as confused as most people? <laughs> no, I mean, I, honestly, that's interesting to hear from Elliot. I haven't heard anyone talk Gallman, so that's somebody who I'm gonna have to do a little more research on. I mean, ultimately, for me, I thought that they were gonna end up signing Blunt. I still think that's a good possibility. I mean seems like that's the only place that he's visited or that's really shown a lot of interest in him. And I think that ultimately that if he got signed, Gallman probably is going to struggle with usurping him. Just ultimately from, again, if you pay a guy to come in and take a position, you know, you're, you're showing a commitment to him. And unless you have a lot of draft capital behind the player that's coming in as a rookie, I don't really see them overtaking that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they even go out and sign Blunt now. I think it'll show a lot as far as what they feel they have in their backfield currently. Um, but then from an outsider perspective, or I'm sorry, not even an outsider perspective, but to focus on another player that I was interested in touching on, I'd like to hear Elliot's perspective on Marlon Mack because I think he went into a great situation going into Indy uh, behind a phenomenal quarterback and Andrew Luck getting to learn from a future Hall of Famer potentially in Frank Gore and he's a guy who coming into this class I was really excited about I mean he has upper percentile 40 yard times I mean he's got an upper percentile burst and he's somebody who I think can really be dynamic in that offense so Elliot do you have any perspective on Marlon how do you feel about him do you think it's a good fit for him in Indy yeah so I like the fit in Indy um when you watch Marlon Mack the first thing that stands out to you is that He's an explosive athlete. Like, I didn't need Indy to tell me that. You just turn on the film and two seconds into it, you're like, okay, I get I get why people get excited about this guy. Um, Marlon Mack, the athlete, is better than Marlon Mack, the football player, is the big issue. Now, he, he doesn't believe in singles or doubles. He wants home runs, and he runs that way. Um, when it works, it looks fantastic, but he also will miss holes, and he will have yardage and then cut it back, loop outside to try to 
hit the big play, and then instead of gaining what would have been an 8- to 10-yard run, he ends up with negative 3 yards. Um, he's got to work in his pass, pot, uh, pass protection. As a receiver, he does it. He gets real worried when contact when he senses contact and he'll alligator on the ball. Um, he doesn't have the best hands. He needs to develop his routes. But if you get on the ball in, open, in the open field, he can do a lot of damage. So the question with Mac is, does he realize his potential? He went in the fourth round because he has that potential. Um, if he if he played football as well as he as good as he was, uh, I'm struggling with that sentence. But <laughs> if he was as good at football as he was as an athlete, he would have been a first round pick. So if he hits, it's going to be fantastic. If he, but he also may be a guy where you're like, like you see it every once in a while, and you're just like, why can't he put it together? And the question is really, can he improve his football IQ, vision, and understanding of defenses and everything? It's interesting. So, so do you think that he threatens Gore at all? I mean, you know, Gore's age and everything this year, or do you think that he doesn't have that capability? Yeah, no, he'll get on the field. Okay. So he'll get on the field for sure. Um, you just don't know if he could take it over, basically, and run with it. Yeah, the like he's a he's a guy you take as a high upside guy, but you don't necessarily want to count on. Right, I you know you. what I mean because because he can do so much if it, if it clicks. Gotcha. I just don't know if it's gonna click because if you watch his film, one play you're like, I love this guy. The next play you're like, what is he doing? <laughs> the way I described it in my my scouting report was, you know, this is a throwback right here. But if you play pinball and you like put, you shoot the ball up and sometimes it hits everything, you get a ton of points, and other times it goes right in the gutter. Yeah. Like, that's the way he runs. <laughs> like, you just never know what's going to happen. That's funny. Yeah, that's interesting. Wow. I think yeah, he's a sleeper, though. Like... Go ahead, Neil. Sorry. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. I was just saying I think he's a sleeper in dynasty drafts and stuff. Yeah, and that's kind of the reason I brought him up. I mean, I kind of feel that way, too. And ultimately, from what Elliot was saying, I feel like it might be a situation where if he can learn from Gore, he could be amazing. Because what Gore does well is kind of grind out these performances. And I'd be interested to see, you know, if Mac can kind of just... If Gore ultimately takes him under his wing and Matt can really learn from him to, you know, learn to be that NFL player and not try and just go for the home run all the time. Because, I mean, it's not like we haven't seen before with prospects that have that sort of home run style where they're always trying to go for the big play, come into the NFL and be able to realize that, A, that worked a lot easier in college, but B, that that's just not going to work from a longevity standpoint in the NFL. You're just not going to be successful over the long run if if that's all you're trying to do. Um, So I feel like if he can learn from Gore and ultimately if Gore takes him under his wing, he has really phenomenal upside in in a dynamic offense and and with a lot of potential. One other thing to keep in mind with the Colts in terms of – the running backs and the offseason reports is that they they will hype a guy up that's not necessarily doing as well as they're saying he's doing. Um, I don't know if you guys remember Josh Ferguson last year, but they were like, yeah. he was an undrafted free agent, but this guy's got all the talent in the world, and we want to get him involved, and everybody was excited, and he did nothing. And then Dante Moncrief is finally showing that 4-4 speed, and he's going to be this big play receiver and do all this stuff, and he did nothing. So just because the reports of Marlon Mack are going to probably be positive doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to translate. Right. I think we're all just waiting for someone to take Gore's spot. <laughs> that's where yeah. we're all like, please, someone come along eventually because this guy's going to go soon. Um, so Shh, we'll, Don't we'll hate see. on the Energizer. No, no, I'm not hating on him. going and going and going. He's got to eventually stop, man. 
<laughs> eventually stop. Uh, the next question we got here is from at SBT 1030. And he asks, is James Connor the new D'Angelo Williams in Pittsburgh? And if so, what's his value in Dynasty, Elliot? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're set up so that he's going to be the new D'Angelo Williams. Um, his value in Dynasty is that when Bell goes down, he'll get 20-plus touches a game. But if Bell's on the field, we've seen them. They, they just keep giving them the football. They don't care. Um, so his, he's really the definition of a handcuff back. If I have Le'Veon Bell, I'm targeting him in the second round of Dynasties just because I, I want those 25 touches regardless of who the starting running back is. Right. Um, after that, late second, early third, I might try to steal that, hoping that he plays three, four games throughout the course of the year. And those three, four games, he's a very valuable play. Nice. Yeah, and obviously everyone knows, you know, his story, um, what he's gone through. So I, people are rooting for him. Obviously, like you said, with being behind Bell, it's it's going to be hard to do anything to get much play besides, you know, if Bell got went, got hurt or, you know, for suspension or something crazy. But, um, you know, everyone's rooting for him. I like him. Obviously, I think he has a lot of, uh, a lot of talent. But, um, and, and like you said, I think handcuff is basically the main thing with this guy. So, you know, like you said, in Dynasty, you, you, you nailed it as far as where you think he goes. Adam, I'm, you agree? Yeah, there's, there's only so much. On yeah, there's only so much I guess we could say about him with with this situation. <laughs> you know, behind Bell, it's not like you're like not like this guy's gonna come in and like you know do crazy good. No, no, he's gonna threaten Bell. It's not one of those things. So, um, exactly. if you have and Bell, he's worth more to you than he is to anybody else, really. For sure. I mean, he doesn't jump off the page to me as like a dynamic athlete right. or anything. So ultimately, it's one of those situations that for fantasy, though, he becomes super relevant because of the workload right. and because of what we've seen there. I mean, let's not joke ourselves and act like D'Angelo Williams is some slouch. Like he's a dynamic running back as well. Um, so that's why he was so successful with that workload. But ultimately, Pittsburgh is designed to have an offense that is going to allow a running back to thrive. So if Bell gets injured, which you know we've seen he has a propensity to be able to do, this is a good situation for anyone who's the main backup behind him. And there's not really anybody else there for Connor to compete with at this time. So I think that his potential to be that Bell handcuff is, is really huge. So yeah, I think like Elliot said, if you own Bell, he should definitely be a target in your, in your dynasty drafts. Absolutely. The next one we got is from at JJK. He asks an interesting question here. Um, does drafting Juju cause Bryant to lose his job with the Steelers? Um, and and obviously, you know, he was more talking about, you know, when, when Martavis got, when, actually, excuse me, when jo- Juju got drafted, uh, Martavis Bryant was on Twitter. I don't know if people were saying stuff to him first or what the case was, but he had basically mentioned that, that you know, Juju is Sammy Coates' replacement um, and not his um, because he's back and that's not what what's going on here um so it seemed i don't know if he was joking if he was serious you know a lot of people took it pretty seriously i guess and so people are don't know no you know emotionally is this guy fragile here is you know is this guy here really to take his job and he's showing that i don't, I don't know if he's gonna get traded or what people are worried about but um do, do, do you guys feel that you know i guess drafting juju is going to cause issues for bryant whether i guess emotionally or whatever way because obviously the dude seemed bothered by it at least um, Elliot, what do you think? Are you saying that people might be sensitive on Twitter? <laughs> so it seems like that's what it is, man. That's what it is. This, but this you know, do, do you think it was a joke? Oh, I think. I mean, he he was just basically saying that you know people are worried about 
that I'm going to fall off the wagon and smoke again and not be able to play, but I'm letting you know I'm all football. Like, this is for Sammy Coates, who can't catch a cold. <laughs> and then Sammy Coates was like, ha, 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 ha. And then Mike Tomlin said, play nice, boys. And then Brian was like, this is football. We don't play nice. Yeah. But it's over. Yeah. Um, if Brian plays, Juju won't see much of the field. Um, if Brian doesn't play, then all of a sudden Juju has a lot of value. So it's weird to have a wide receiver handcuff, but that's basically what he is. Um, Brian is a much better athlete, much better receiver than Juju Smith is. I um, I don't necessarily like Juju in, even though his, his name is really fun to say, as a side <laughs> note, but um, as a big slot, I think Eli Rogers will, will have that role a lot. And even if he does, so even if he does get the big slot role, he's going to be the fourth option at best behind not only Brown and Bryant, but they throw the ball to Bell a lot as well. So if he, I think he is a insurance policy on Bryant, not a replacement. Right, I got you. Yeah, that makes more sense. I mean, that makes more sense because I don't picture this guy. I'm a big Bryant believer and a fan. So obviously, if he stays on track and nothing gets crazy, I don't think I don't think Juju can push him out. And I I, I don't know. I took it more as like a joke. I didn't take it so you know seriously. Like I think a lot of people took it way way too serious. But I know Adam. I know Adam took it kind of serious, right? I mean, oh, not serious, but you were like kind of annoyed by it, right? Yeah, I mean, so I I don't want to misquote somebody, so I pulled it up here. So. The exact tweet was, LOL, that's Sammy Coates' replacement, not mine's. Take it how you want to, I am back. <laughs> I even included his typo. Yes, so <laughs> ultimately, I mean, when I read that, my reaction was, this is a kid who hasn't learned from his transgressions and basically has taken it really personally how people have perceived him on social media. And we live in a day and age now where everybody has an opinion and if you're in the limelight like brian has been in his career for unfortunate reasons you're gonna get a lot of flack and it sounds like to me that he's taken that internally and you know i don't know what it says from a football perspective but from a person perspective that to me just says that he's really insecure still and he's speaking out against sammy Coates, who's his teammate who really you shouldn't be speaking out at all now for me, that's all I got to say about Brian. He's an amazing talent. I think that he's still going to be extremely successful in Pittsburgh as long as he doesn't do something stupid again, which to me this shows that there's a higher chance of than I thought just a week ago. Now, to focus on Juju for a second here, he's a guy who, you know, two years ago people thought was the best wide receiver potentially in this class. And then last year he kind of had a down year. But ultimately... The biggest thing for him, to me, is he's the youngest player in this draft class. I mean, he just turned 20 years old. So for him to go to a team like Pittsburgh and have the opportunity to learn from a guy like Antonio Bryant, for me, that's gigantic. I don't think he's going to have immediate impact, but he's a huge dynasty buy for me because I think that he's going to have a lot of time to develop there. Now, ultimately... I don't know who will be the quarterback by the time that he actually gets an opportunity to really thrive in that offense. But if you get a chance to learn from one of the best receivers in the game and you're only 20 years old, to me, the sky's the limit for him. And he has a ton of potential. We knew that coming into the draft. So for me, ultimately, I think the landing spot was great for him. 
it's not a short-term thing. It's a long-term thing, but I'm really excited for his potential. By, by learning behind one of the best wide receivers in the game, you're talking about Anto- uh, Martavis Bryant, right? It's really nice of you, man. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> and you did say Antonio Bryant. I don't know if that was like some kind of transformer version of Brown and Bryant together, but uh, that works too, <laughs> That would man. certainly be the best receiver in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, that, that you can put them oh too. <laughs> that would be great. Oh, man. Hilarious. Either way, guys, this is an, this is a fun wide receiver court. We'll, we'll see how it shakes out, but I agree with you guys. I don't think Juju affects Bryant. Um, it does probably move. Do you guys think it moves Sammy Coase off the team? I mean, he's got like a 33% drop rate. Like that's, I mean, first off, I love Sammy Coates. He won me $10,000 and DraftKings this past year against the Jets. Jeez. So I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to bash Sammy Coates. <laughs> that being said, like the whole catching a football is not one of his greatest strengths. And that's kind of important when you're going to play receiver. Yeah, I think if he won you 10 grand, you could probably never talk bad about him. Like that kind of puts him on that. Let's make him wide receiver one. Let's just. (laughs) Oh, man. We'll see. Sorry, JJK, but Brian's going nowhere. Uh, The next one is from at not that Kevin Hart. And he asks, how about those Bengals? He picked, you know, they picked up plenty of new offensive weapons. And so he wants to know what we think of the Bengals in general, I guess, their offense. And, and you know, with these new weapons that they got, they did they did pick up a lot of weapons. Um, I mean, if you consider them that, you know, a lot of rookie uh, rookie guys on offense. Um, we mentioned Mixon earlier. They got some wide receivers. Elliot, with all your research that you've done, man, did they, did they hit it out the park here or what? Yeah, I really liked what the Bengals did. They took some character risks and medical risks. But if everybody stays healthy and um, does the right thing off the field, their draft could end up being the best draft in the class. I mean, John Ross has big-time upside. He's much more than just a go-route runner, like he's often referred to because of his 4-2-2 speed. I know a lot of people moved him up because of his 4-2-2, but that doesn't make sense to me because when you watch his tape, you already knew he was fast. So it's, it's, it's like not a shock that he was that fast when he was constantly behind the defense. Right. He's a good route runner. The thing I like about him in terms of fantasy is he actually runs really good routes in the red zone, which is kind of rare. Um, he's knocked for his size at being 5'11", but that's bit, he's, he's what Antonio Brown is, and he's got that kind of footwork and speed. Um, I'm not saying he's Antonio Brown by any mean, I, means. I think he was clearly the third best receiver in the draft. Um, Joe Mixon's got huge upside as well. He can be a workhorse three down back. The Bengals now with A.J. Green, John Ross, Tyler Eifert, Joe Mixon, even even you want to throw in Tyler Boyd, they're, they're going to have a lot of weapons for Andy Dalton to throw to. And just as a side note, but Jordan Willis and Carl Lawson were were first-round first edge talent that they got in the third and fourth. Nice. So do you think Ross um, right out the gate beats Boyd and stuff, or do you think that he's still behind those guys? No, Ross's whole thing is can he stay healthy? I right. mean, he's got two MCL tears, an ACL tear, and microfracture surgery in his knee. Ah. Like that's that's scary, especially when you're talking about dynasty or something. His upside is tremendous, but his his medicals are very scary. Even more scary is the fact that he ran that forty after those injuries. That's insane that he can still yeah. run that fast. That's that's nuts. Oh man, Adam. I obviously, we talked about mixing. You're big on him. You just heard Elliot talk a lot about Ross. Uh, you, 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 you a big fan of this this draft they pulled? These offensive guys. 
Oh, yeah, I absolutely love it. I mean, I think Elliot hit the nail on the head when you said that this could turn out to be the best draft. And there were a lot of really great drafts. I mean, the thing that I was most excited about watching this draft, and Neil and I have talked about it a little bit, was the teams that really built around their young quarterbacks. I mean, we saw it with Tampa Bay building around Jameis Winston. We saw it in Tennessee when they're just building an offense to support those young guys. I mean, it's really an exciting thing. And I think that that's what the Bengals are doing here with Andy Dalton. And for me, I ultimately, you know, I see the same sort of risk with John Ross. He's not a guy who I was, was as excited about as probably the fantasy community was coming into the draft. And, and he won't be a guy that I'm as excited about probably as the majority of the fantasy community once the season starts, just because he does run that high risk of re-injury. That being said, I think that it's a great standpoint from you know a fantasy perspective as far as what that offense is going to be able to do. And uh, you know, shout out to Rumford Johnny. He uses a great uh, line when he talks about wanting a uh, quarterback rather than all his pieces. He says, you know, you want the syrup rather than the pancakes. And for me, this is kind of a great syrup situation because. For Andy Dalton, he's got this dynamic offense that they're building around him. And, you know, he's just one year shy. So last year didn't occur. But two years ago, he was an elite fantasy quarterback. And I don't think that he's this amazing NFL quarterback. But if they can really build around him like they're trying to do here, I think for fantasy, he's going to be a guy that's really underrated. And I'm excited for him to see what he can do with all these new weapons. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I was going to mention Dalton when you were done. And, yeah, it's exciting, man, to see what what he can do. I don't, I, he's the guy that's not getting talked about as much because of, obviously, all these players are more exciting. But uh, it's going to be fun, man. It's going to be fun. And, and no one even asks us about the Titans, or at least not before I put these questions together, which the Titans obviously did a, an amazing job as well. Are you as crazy? Who are you more crazy about, what, what the Titans did or what the Bengals did, Elliot? Um. The Titans have the advantage because they have two first-round picks, but the oh, Bengals yeah, end up getting two first-round talents. Um, I like Corey Davis a lot. Um, he is my wide receiver, too. Mike Williams is my wide receiver, one. That doesn't mean I hate Corey Davis, and I think he's the worst player in the world. Um, <laughs> I love how you got to say that because, you know, that's what people will automatically go to as soon as you say that. Well, that's the rule with yeah. Twitter and debates now is that when yeah. you say, who do you like better, if you like one guy better, you now hate the other person <laughs> and say that he can never be good. Yeah. Um, I have them both as top 10 NFL draft talents. So, But I, I like the Adoree pick as long as they can put him in zone. He's going to really struggle in man, especially press man to begin with. Uh, the Taewon Taylor pick was really good. I know people like Junior Smith a lot. We're, we're going to have to see, because he hasn't really played much football in the last two years between his injury and getting boiling water poured on him by his pregnant girlfriend. Um, I would go Bengals over Titans in terms of pure upside. Interesting. I would go with Titans over Bengals in terms of safeness, both injury and off-field. Gotcha. Yeah, they're they're exciting, but so you so you have Mike Williams above Corey uh, above Davis. Obviously, it's it's whatever splitting hairs probably. But with that, did you like where he went as far as with with the Chargers? Obviously, Phil Rivers throws like crazy. Some people felt even Charger fans felt like, why do that? We have Keenan Allen and and Tyrell Williams, and they obviously they feel good about their offense. You know, they got Gordon Henry, all these guys. Did did you feel that they 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 went the wrong route there? I mean, it seems like I think people were overreacting to that a little bit. Yeah, I. 
I mean, Mike Williams is a very popular person to hate. Um, I think a lot of people don't understand how he wins, and his wins aren't necessarily the way metrics guys would want them to be. Um, Keenan Allen is never healthy. Right. I mean, that's that's got to be a huge thing in the Chargers' mind is that they built these offenses and Keenan Allen goes down and then all of a sudden it's Tyrell Williams is hurt and we're throwing a Dante Inman. Like, right, right. Mike Williams is a beast on the outside and Keenan Allen can make a living in the slot. Plus Tyrell Williams it, it probably runs the best crossing rod in the entire NFL with Hunter Henry and Melvin Gordon. I think they're trying to say, you know what, Phil, we only have a few years left of Phillip Rivers. Let's give him all the tools and the tool shed and let him go out and try to win us some games and make the playoffs and make some noise. Because if all these weapons stay healthy, you know, the Chargers can do a lot of damage. If Keenan Allen goes down, now we're looking at Mike Williams probably be the vocal point of the offense. I know everyone loves Tyrell Williams, but Mike Williams is better than Tyrell Williams. Um, and Rivers will give his guys chances. And Williams can win in a lot of ways 20 yards down the field and be a beast in the red zone. Well, I don't think 8 to 10 touchdowns in his rookie year is out of the question. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, a lot of people, you know, are, are weird about Williams. Like you said, a lot of the Metro guys, stuff like that. And you obviously have done your work and you disagree with that. And that's fine. And, I, you know, like, like you said, if Allen goes down, obviously Williams gets a lot more love. And I, and I do agree with that. I think they are doing that last, you know, push for Phillip Rivers. Um, they're in a tough division, unfortunately. So I don't know how much that push is going to help. But either way, I think I, I agree with your logic there. That that's what they were trying to do. Even though, like you said, like I said, San Diego Charger fans feel like there was other things that needed, you know, to be looked at. But we'll see. We'll see how that works. One other point, though, is they also they really improved their interior line for Gordon. Right. That offensive line is awful, and they added two good. They Forrest Lamps the best interior blocker in the draft. And they um, stole him. On, <laughs> and then blanking on the other offensive lineman they added. Um, I want it. Was it Feeney? Um, yeah, and he's sure. a really good guard as well. So like they can, they can either put Lamp at right tackle or right guard, and Feeney at left guard. Like they can start to really push the line of scrimmage, which is something that they have not been able to do, even though Gordon was good this year. Gotcha. All right. The last question we have here from the listeners is from at uh, yes sir y e s s i r yes sir. And um, he's asking, how do we see the touches being split up between uh, Ty Montgomery and the new rookie draft picks in the Packers' backfield? Adam, do you want to start, or do you want Elliot to go? Oh, man, I get to start first? Yeah, 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 yeah. go ahead and start. <laughs> just, Let's switch it up a little bit. Okay, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, ultimately, I think that, you know, they've even came out and spoken in support of Ty Montgomery. Um, you know, he's kind of an interesting guy because, you know, starting out as a wide receiver, switching to running back, most people kind of have this perspective that, you know, you can't take a big workload, you know, if you're not built to be a running back. But Ty Montgomery is built like a running back, ultimately. So I think that from what we've seen in the past with the Packers, I, I don't really see them running the ball a ton. You know, they have Aaron Rodgers there. I think that all these guys are going to get touches, but I feel like the focus is going to be around Ty Montgomery. For me, their additions don't really, I mean, they, they don't really scare me at all. Um, you know, with Aaron Jones getting added there and, and Jamal Williams, neither one of those guys jump off the page for me as somebody who's going to demand a lot of touches in the offense. But no matter who's carrying the ball there, I mean, it's a great opportunity. They have a fantastic offensive line. They have a dynamic offense. So there is, 
obviously a lot of potential there. But for me, it this draft spoke to what they feel about Ty Montgomery because they didn't really go out and get one of those early running backs, which there was a lot of talk that they would be in the market for Dalvin Cook or Joe Mixon or one of these guys that was highly touted. So for me, I was excited for Ty Montgomery because of what the Packers did in the draft. Right addressing the running back position until the fourth round right ellie do you agree i mean every obviously every time the packers came up everybody was like all right here goes a running back here goes a running back just like adam said and then they just kept passing on running backs and they waited till later and i don't know do you do you think that they waited because they do think someone like williams is that good or do you think they just really believe in time montgomery that strongly no, i think they definitely believe in time montgomery and they're trying to find someone to match them up match up with them and you know we see this. We see teams do this, and then people lose their minds every year. But one thing a team likes to do is if they can't get a guy they like early, they try to get two to three of those guys in the same position and see which one of them can really kind of step forward. So I think that's what the Packers did this year, getting Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams to kind of give both a chance and see which one can kind of step up and be the guy with Montgomery. I don't think all of these guys are getting touches. They're not going to rotate this many backs in and out. Plus, they've had injury history, so I guess it's nice for them to have depth. Um, They probably feel that that's really important. But I think it's basically going to be a Jones versus Williams competition for who shares touches with Montgomery. Gotcha. Yeah, it's an interesting backfield. And everyone, it seemed like many people didn't think that they would trust Ty Montgomery like it looks like they're going, going to. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But I think Ty Montgomery owners are very happy after the draft. That's easy to say. Um, the last one I want to throw at you guys from at TJ Minimum again. Um, he's actually asking what's the best um, undrafted free agent player situation that we have here um, for Dynasty. So I guess either one of you, if you just want to give one each, maybe who you guys really like as far as um, undrafted free agents. Um, and Elliot, you can start if you have a certain guy that you either – you know, really like, or even if you want to knock a guy that people like and you don't, whatever you want to do. Is this where I say Ishmael Zamora is the best? <laughs> best this this is where you would say that. If you agreed with that, this is where it would happen. But, you know, it's up so, to you, man. Let me just go on the record one last time. Um, I don't hate Ishmael Zamora's upside. I get it. He's a big physical receiver who's a good athlete. I just don't think he's better than Mike Williams. And I don't know. I feel like this weekend may or may not have proved that teams feel the same way. Um, The thing that worries me, because I know a lot of people are going to get excited for Katie Cannon and um, Ishmael Zamora, is these Baylor guys don't have a hit rate at all. I mean, since 2008, none of them have worked out in the NFL. Of the 17 drafted between the offensive linemen, receivers, running backs, and quarterbacks i mean the best one we got in the nfl right now is terrence williams who's kind of a four to five hundred yards a year kind of guy kendall wright had one good year josh gordon had a good year but then baylor's off-field issues come into play robert griffin could never read a defense and baylor's offense doesn't require you to read a defense it's basically two guys run one of three routes a screen a hitch or a go and then all the other guys are just kind of hanging out on the field People really should watch the film on this. It's kind of amazing when the guys are literally just hanging out, not running routes all the time. Um, And that's a transition. You know, you go from running all these plays, running three routes against bad corners. I mean, in the last five years, Baylor has played 14 guys that went in the first three rounds. 
from the Big 12 or their preseason schedule in total. That is not a lot in five years. I mean, Clemson played that many against Alabama and Ohio State combined in two games. Um, I would... I know Ishmael Zamora, like the Raiders are a good landing spot for him because he could potentially win a third wide receiver job. But like we talked about a little bit before we came on air, you know, you worry that he's not surpassing Cooper and he's not surpassing um, Crabtree. Seth Roberts probably going to be that slot receiver. And then Cordero Patterson is going to make the team because he offers big playability. They paid money for him and he's going to be their special teams guy where he's returning punts and kicks or potentially punts. Um, Zamora is going to have to win that fifth wide receiver battle, and typically they want those guys to play special teams. Um, he doesn't do a whole lot of that. Now, could he develop into something? Absolutely. But with that track record and the issue that Baylor has had with guys transitioning to the NFL, I think it's a 50-50 chance he even makes the roster. Right, right. That's fair. I mean, obviously you've done your research. You know, You know you know what and and to be fair your sample size is not like it's small either you know you mentioned you know what since 2008 right so that's that's a pretty decent amount of time you know as far as going back obviously you say you agree you see what people see as far as what they get excited about um the flash plays absolutely. right and right. the last Baylor player to make the pro bowl was a long snapper <laughs> and Ishmael's not a long snapper so it's not going to help him <laughs> one did get drafted before him though <laughs> that's true is there anyone that you really love i mean as far as these i know it's hard with undrafted free agents to really get excited about any of them because you don't really know it's even harder than it is regular draft picks but is there any that you do like that you personally had a, that you personally felt like you know from your research that this guy really can be something and he didn't get drafted was there any that you really loved um it's tough undrafted free agents i mean even guys you like they they typically don't make the roster yeah. i know there are exceptions every year um why don't we let Adam answer, and then let, let me let okay. me think yeah, about it a little yeah, bit absolutely. more, and then I might absolutely. Correct you. Adam, you got any guy? That, are you going to pick Ishmael? <laughs> I mean, you guys have been pronouncing his name wrong for all oh, I knew. Shit. It was Ishmael Zamora. <laughs> so, whatever. Ish, but, ish, ish, <laughs> ish, ish, ish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if I've ever heard his name not shouted by Matt Riley. <laughs> really. um, but, uh... But I digress. I mean, for me, yeah, Zamora was kind of the guy. I mean, he seems to be getting the most talk, him and Katie Cannon, but I, I, I don't believe in Katie Cannon. And Elliot kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, when guys go undrafted, this says a lot about what teams think about them. I mean, when you're in the seventh round and you're not getting drafted by a team, that says something about what they think you're capable of. So for Ishmael to not get drafted by anybody – it does say a lot now for him to fall into the Raiders. That is a great situation, but for him to actually make the 53 man roster is going to be tough. And it's tough for any undrafted free agent to me. Draft capital is almost everything for wide receivers. It's a little bit easier for running backs because ultimately there's such a higher turnover rate for running backs, but I don't know any running backs that are undrafted free agents that I get excited about. So maybe while Elliot has some time to think here, a running back pops into his head because I'd love a name to kind of go after in deep dynasty leagues because I don't have one, unfortunately. So for me, Zamora was kind of the guy who, as an undrafted free agent, I was excited to see where he landed. And when he landed in Oakland, it seemed like a great situation, but it's going to take a lot. I mean, it's going to be a big uphill battle for him to make the 53-man roster. If he does, though, I mean... 
that situation there behind Crabtree and Cooper is pretty open. So there, there is wiggle room if he is able to make that roster, but it's a big if. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we obviously we know with these uh, UDFA's, it's always something. You know, that obviously they didn't get drafted for whether it is off the field, whether it's just limitations that they have in their game, whatever the case may be. Um, but but like you said, Patriots, they obviously do good at, at undrafted free agents. Certain teams just seem to hit it a lot. I don't know what, what the reasoning is for that. They just just do it better than everybody else or, or put more work into it or, or what it is. There's names that I see that I like I'm familiar with. But, like you know, guys like Austin Carr, for instance, who just happened to go to the Patriots. Um, there's just certain names that I see that like stick out that I do know, but whether they make it or not or have great chances, I don't know. Um, Elliot, have you seen anyone since you've been looking or? Yeah. So I, I actually, I wrote up 65 wide receivers for Bleacher Report and, um, I was trying to go through the list and landing spots to kind of refresh my memory. Um, if you're, if you want a real, I, I don't even say boom or bust because if you're an undrafted free agent, you don't make it. You're not even a bust. You know what I mean? It's just <laughs> yeah, kind of like yeah. it is what it is. But Ricky Seals Jones from Texas A&M is a big slot who's got ability in the open field, ability in the red zone. And he goes to Arizona where they like using a big slot, specifically Larry Fitzgerald. He won't play much at all in his rookie year, but they don't have a big-time athletic receiver. I know they drafted Robert Davis. I personally think Seals Jones is better than him. Um, I think he could end up being a Larry Fitzgerald replacement in next year if he's able to make the roster. Um, he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school. He can win jump balls. He beat up on Alabama two years ago. He's got some some flash and some upside where he's basically a tight end in a receiver's body, but he can move in the open field. Um, is there a chance and, they could use him as a tight end? I mean, is that possible, or is it just... I mean, hypoth- I mean... Vikings, Bucky Hodges is going to be used as a tight end, and right. he played 12 snaps at tight end, right? right? So that's another take I was destroyed for, that he <laughs> didn't play tight end. But, I mean, whatever. Um, yeah, so Seals Jones, if I if I wanted to take a, a real long shot, like last pick of the fifth round, he could potentially do something. Well, there you go, guys. He dug deep. I knew Elliot could. I couldn't, but I knew Elliot could. Adam, you know, we're not. Elliot's got the extra research, man. Had to go with it. So Adam put that down, man. And if you're in any dynasties with me, you're not going to get them over me now. So sorry. <laughs> so that's it for the listener questions. I had some other ones, but those are the main ones that I want to hit on. And we'll see if we come back to any later. Um, but those are the main ones that I wanted to hit on. The next thing I wanted to do is file or no foul. You guys know how much I love file or no foul. Are you guys really ready for file or no foul? Oh, yeah, if you're ready, if you say you're ready, I'm just going to take it that you're ready. So let's go. It's that time again. Let's play another round of foul or no foul. So for those who are new to this, I would like to explain just in case, because new listeners may not know what we're talking about. Elliot never played before, may not know how exactly this goes down. So in foul or no foul, I'm going to give statements, things that, again, things that I've heard, things that I just feel like making up, things that I've read on the internet, just wherever I get these things from. Um, And I'm going to make these statements. They could be crazy to you. If they are crazy, then you say the statement is a foul. If you agree with the statement, then it's no foul. So we're going to go ahead and start. Uh, we'll, we'll basically rotate on these. So each one, the first one, we'll let Elliot start, Adam go after it. But then on, number, on the second one, we'll let Adam start, Elliot go after it. So the first one, 
besides a crime like murder, obviously, because there can't be drafted then, um, no off-the-field issue can stop a player from being drafted, even if we're talking undrafted free agent getting a shot. Um, no no off-the-field issue can stop a player from being drafted if he's really that talented. Foul or no foul, Elliot? I mean, no foul. That's kind of what it's been proven to be, right? I mean, Conley got drafted because there's a lot of information that came out that showed he wasn't, um, he was innocent. Uh, but Caleb Brantley, there's still a lot of questions about him, and he got drafted in the sixth round basically with the, if you know if he's guilty, we'll cut him. If he's innocent, we got a second-round talent. Right. Um, Ishmael Zamora went to town on his dog on video, and he got a shot. I mean, Joe Mixon punched a girl, and he went in the second round. It's it's really a league where, I mean, Tyreek Hill beat up his pregnant girlfriend, and now everybody loves him because he won them fantasy games. Right. I mean, it's we, crazy. We live in a, I mean, we don't even want to get in the 80s with what Lawrence Taylor was doing. But we now live in a day and age where it's like, you know what, if you're good enough, we'll try to look past some stuff, but it's going to cost you money and you're going to fall in the draft. But teams typically tend to give these guys second chances. Yeah, they give them first chances, they give them second chances, they give them sometimes more than that. It's just, it's weird. You know, obviously you hear this argument a lot, in, in, in especially in fantasy, and you also hear as fans of teams, whatever, like when the Bengals drafted Joe Mixon, you got people saying like, you know, Bengals fans or people are criticizing that they would do it. Um, you had some teams who didn't, you know, took him off their board, so we just can't draft the guy. And then, like you said, there's even fantasy owners who are like, I want no part of this guy, even though you're, you know, you're playing this game. You just feel like you don't want to have that on you, I guess. I don't know. So it's always an interesting thing because that's one of those things, the NFL, where you give people those chance, right? Because if you meet people day-to-day life, regular jobs, nine-to-fives, whatever, typically if someone has something like this on their, on their, rep, on their rap sheet, on their reputation, whatever, you don't even, like, give them the time of day. But in this world... We do. Adam, do you think it's a foul or a no foul? Yeah, I mean, this for me, I mean, it's obviously a no foul. I mean, Elliot kind of touched on it pretty directly here. There have been a ton of players who have had these big personal infractions who still have been drafted quite highly. So ultimately, I think that, you know, from an NFL perspective, it just doesn't matter anymore. If you've done things off the field it matters what you do on the field that's what they care about and honestly from a fantasy football perspective that's kind of how we have to be too i mean there was a lot of people a few years back when adrian peterson had that issue where he beat his son and it became a huge national media attention there were a lot of people who were like well i can't draft him now and ultimately For me, it's always just been fantasy football is a game first. I'm going to embrace it from a game perspective. If I think that he's going to be good at this game, I'm going to draft him because more often than not, I have money on the line at this game and I want to be successful at this game. To me, that's ultimately what matters. And unfortunately, that is also how the NFL views it. There's a lot of money on the line. There's jobs on the line for these guys. So for them, from a coaching standpoint, they're going to draft players who have issues that they think they can be successful NFL players because that's what matters the most. Yeah, I think if you're trying to win 10K like Elliot, I think you got to not care about those guys. <laughs> you got to not care whether they can catch a ball or not, right, Elliot? Yeah, I mean, that's the best way to win <laughs> big money on DraftKings is pick guys that can't catch to play receiver. <laughs> and no. then the one time they finally do catch it, <laughs> no, the real the real way to win is just pick the guys that play the Jets and then good things happen. <laughs> oh, man. All right, the next foul or no foul. Um, this I brought up because, I don't know, if you guys watched the NFL draft on NFL Network and you had the sound on, Adam, 
Um, if you were watching at some point and you weren't at work and you had the sound on all these things that you were doing, um, Rich Eisen like didn't show one of the Raiders draft picks because they started going to like Vegas to make the draft picks. And so, um, he seemed like bothered by it, obviously, um, because he said like, you know, this is kind of rude or whatever to the Oakland fans. So the Raiders hosting draft picks live from Las Vegas was offensive, uh, offensive to the fans in Oakland where the team will continue to play for the next two or three years. Foul or no foul, Adam. Yeah, I mean, that's a no foul. It is offensive, ultimately. I mean, the Raiders have been in Oakland for a really long time. And, Neil, you as a Raiders fan, I know you've spoken out and said you're going to be a Raiders fan no matter where they are, but you don't live in Oakland. Right, And I'm sure if you lived in Oakland, you might have a different perspective on that. And ultimately, I feel like if you're a fan of a team and they're a local team to you, like, I get that the moving is hard enough. And from an NFL perspective, everybody wants to act like they're already there. But until you change the name to the Las Vegas Raiders and they're playing in Las Vegas, I don't really give a shit about Las Vegas. So let them move to Las Vegas. Then we can focus on Las Vegas. For now, they're the Oakland Raiders. Let's live it up for the fans who are still in Oakland, still cheering for this team. And I, I wish that that was the perspective they were focusing on. But unfortunately, it wasn't. Yeah, you know, these guys, there was tri- draft picks being made from space. Uh, Ellie, I think you mentioned on Twitter an orangutan making picks and stuff, right? Oh, that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, that was, was an orangutan that made like six picks and it was, it ate a sandwich and was peeling like the, the paper back just to eat the sandwich and then he was drinking a juice box, um, which is a whole new form of Kermit sipping his tea. But <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I thought some of the stuff they did was really cool, but it really slowed down the draft. Yeah, so were you a fan um, of the Raider then, thing, or was it foul or no foul? Which one, which one do you go on that one? I'm going to go with uh, – I, I was not a fan of it, so I, I guess that may, means I think it was a foul. But right. I get why they're doing it. They're trying to build up the excitement and you know build up season tickets for when they go there and all that stuff. But you know, you still, you still want to show Oakland that you care about them somewhat while you're still there if you want them to sell out your stadiums and buy your beers and memorabilia and all that stuff. So I get why Rich Eisen was doing what he did. Um, two, two points, both in relate, relation to what this is, is if there's a team that needs to care about off-field issues more than anyone else, it should be the Raiders going forward moving to Las Vegas, because that's not a place you want troublemakers. Right, um, right, right. The other was my favorite line from NFL Network all night was Rich Eisen kind of slurred his words a little bit. I don't know if you noticed that Mike Mayock and Daniel Jeremiah, Daniel Jeremiah took off their jackets uh-huh yeah i seen that well i don't know in round five he was trying to say me and charles davis are still jacketing it <laughs> to say that they are still have their jackets on right and he goes me and charles davis are still jacking it what's going on with you <laughs> and uh, since i have like a five-year-old mind i was like this is amazing this is my favorite draft moment i just want this and the orangutan drinking a juice box to go on for the next three hours. <laughs> oh man! While we're touching on jet, uh, while we're touching on these amazing moments from the draft, Elliot, what did you think of J E T E Jets? <laughs> I honestly I missed that one, but that's that's kind of describes the history of the franchise right there. <laughs> that was the most. <laughs> That was my favorite moment. I'm like, you can't spell a four-letter word. I felt so bad because it's like, 
obviously there's a lot of pressure on him and you know he made a mistake and he just kind of rolled with it but man that was oh god that was that was we my also, favorite moment we also had the commissioner wipe a booger i seen that on, on a one-legged like eight-year-old and then i didn't know if it was real or not when i seen the video on twitter i was like did someone edit this thing or is this for real i don't i i hope they edited it but <laughs> and then I know Eagles fans are very passionate people, but that Fly Eagles Fly song is so bad. <laughs> and then you have what's his name going on? What was it? Drew Pearson, is it? The guy? The oh, yeah, he guy? got people fired up. Yeah, that was pretty exciting. There was a bunch of good stuff, man. Some highlights there for sure. It was fun. But yeah. We talk about how the NFL draft is a huge deal where we're now announcing picks from space. <laughs> yeah, I know. I thought that was crazy. Or like Lisa Lady, she wasn't announcing it, but I guess she was like saying something and throwing it back because she probably could. I don't know if they even could like the delay and stuff, but um, it was pretty. It was pretty cool, man. Some good stuff. But Raiders, Vegas, that whole thing. No bueno. It sounds like the um, next one we have here. This is interesting. I want to hear what Elliot thinks about this, especially because you know all the stuff that you do. But um, grading an NFL team's draft right away, straight off the bat, because right now if you go on all the websites, and I'm not talking about giving opinions on players and wh- how you think they'll do. I'm talking about actually the people who grade the drafts, like oh Raiders get an F, Jets get an A, this that. Grading an NFL team's draft right away is pointless. Foul or no foul, Elliot? That's a that's a foul. I agree with that. Like that's I. I know why people do it. It's because people want the immediate gratification for their team's draft where they can click on something and see that it says A and feel great about it. <laughs> right. Like, it's all for clicks. It's it's like mock drafts. Like, mock drafts are fun, but they don't mean anything. Um, it's... <laughs> I think you can say what players you like, but to... Like, I don't like the Bears draft. I don't like Shaheen. I don't like... Trading up for Trubisky. I love Eddie Jackson, but who am I to say was a failed draft until they take the field for right. at least two to three years? Exactly. So it's really instant gratification clicks. That's all it is. Adam, I mean, I know you love the Bears draft, but what do you think, man? Honestly, grading grading drafts being pointless, I, I think that's a no foul. I think that's what Elliot meant. I, I, these can get a little confusing for for our first timers for the following no foul. But yeah, ultimately, the the grading aspect is pretty pointless. That being said, I mean that's when you go through and you're like grading pick by pick and saying, oh, this player is an A, this player drafted there is a C. Like it doesn't mean anything, but. I think if you look at the draft as a whole and are able to look at what players or I'm sorry, what teams were able to do something like the Browns, what they were able to do in acquiring picks by trading down or what the 49ers were able to accomplish in that same sort of way. Those were the things that I think get a grades like those are the A plus teams because they're really taking advantage of these other teams that want to move up and want to acquire what they think are great talents. And in doing so, they're getting themselves a lot more opportunities to have success. And I think that that, for me, is probably the, the biggest thing to grade on. And, and honestly, I mean, touching on that a little bit, you know, for, for what the Bears did trading up to get Trubisky, I think it was terrible. I think that they wasted a ton of picks to go up to two when I don't really know a, I, I absolutely do not think whatsoever the 49ers were taking Trubisky at two. 
I don't think that's why they made the trade up. I think that they probably got bamboozled into thinking that someone else was going to outbid them to go up to two to get Trubisky. I don't really know if that was true. As I said, I used the word bamboozled. I think that they kind of got fooled by the 49ers into making that decision. But, you know, we'll never know. We weren't in the war rooms. We don't get to have those conversations. So everything here is speculation. But I think those are the things that we should be grading ultimately is how they really approached the draft, what they were able to do as far as trading up or trading down. And those are the things that I look at from kind of a quote unquote draft grade perspective. Gotcha. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I agree with both of you. You know, it's just it kind of makes it difficult to uh, to actually grade them without years of seeing how it plays out and all that kind of stuff. And and like you like I think Elliot said and, and you're saying basically like we don't know why these guys were drafted, what they felt about them. So we're obviously going to have different opinions, different, you know, all that kind of stuff where they see guys fit in what the plan is for the guys. So who, who really knows? So it's like you said, it's clickbaity kind of you know, that's kind of what it is. Instant, in, instant I mean, gratification Brown, culture we live in. The Browns got an A grade from many people for Johnny Manziel. <laughs> yes, it's true. And then a year later, people said that that guy, they, all those guys, need to get fired for making that pick. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, it's kind of pointless, but I guess it's entertaining, and that's what we go for. The next one, I, I'm doing this because I've seen this is definitely because of internet Twitter to Twitter fantasy Twitter. Adam, me and him had a, a brief conversation when it like first happened, and so I'm seeing you know a lot of people giving their their take on this. So I was curious what you guys think. So Christian McCaffrey, he was drafted by the Panthers. So Christian McCaffrey landed on a bad team, Panthers, in regards to his fantasy football purposes. Foul or no foul? Will Elliot start? Um, I like the team, and they Christian McCaffrey at Stanford. Stanford runs a ton of power. And the Panthers run a ton of power as well. Um, the Samuel thing is a little concerning, but I, I'm assuming they view Samuel as a, a weapon in the slot, and they'll play both of them, you know, coming out of the backfield and just try to really wreak havoc on linebackers. I don't think he's going to take a ton away from uh, McCaffrey. Probably a target or two a game, but I think McCaffrey will still be heavily utilized. You don't take a guy eighth overall and then not plan to use him. Right. Um, now, Jonathan Stewart can still play, but he's, what, a 30-year-old running back? Yeah, and he's never been super great, right? <laughs> I mean, he's never been, yeah, and he, you know. He's been injured a lot. I just, I think the the one thing I have a concern for is Cam Newton has never been a great thrower of touch passes. And a lot of passes to the running back, especially out of the backfield, are kind of dink and dunk short, kind of take a little something off. Um, I saw a funny gif online where it's big Cam Newton throwing Christian McCaffrey and it's just this parent whip, whipping a snowball in this young child's face from like two feet away. <laughs> um, so hopefully Cam can can do that. But, you know, McCaffrey can play all over and I still expect him to be heavily involved in the offense. Absolutely. Adam, let's see what you got to say, man. You know, I, th- I think, Neil, I think you thought I was going no foul and, and saying this was a bad team for him. Um, but I- I'm, I'm going to say that that's a foul. Uh, I think it wasn't an ideal landing spot for him. I think that there were other teams that he could have gone to that would have been better fits for what he does based on what they've done in the past. That being said, I mean, he only has Jonathan Stewart to compete with there. He is kind of that player that was dynamic enough coming into the draft that he was really kind of not landing spot dependent. You know, he's going to get on the field right away because what he's able to do in the blocking game and in the passing game 
And honestly, it was weird because I thought a lot of people's reactions to the Curtis Samuel pick was that it seems like they kind of do the same thing as you touched on. But for me, it said that it's interesting how they want to build through this draft. To me, it kind of indicates that Carolina might be going in a different direction with their offense in a way that we've not seen before. And that would make sense. You know, Cam Newton's getting older. He can't do those things that he was doing before as far as being a guy who's going to scramble a lot and, and being relied on to rush himself. So it might be a situation where they're going to be using Christian McCaffrey in a, in a way that we've never seen the Panthers use a running back before. So the potential is definitely there. It's not my favorite landing spot. It's not an ideal landing spot, but I don't think it's bad. I think McCaffrey can still overcome what is not an ideal landing spot for him. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I, I personally love it. I, I, I love it in every way. I think you guys both made great points, though. Um, I, I think I, I like it, and I like where it's at. I think he'll do better than people even expect there. I just, for some reason, I just, I, I feel like, you know, you, me and you, Adam, when we spoke, you had made, you know, comments as far as, you know, uh, Cam Newton not checking down a lot as far as stuff like that. But I did say, like, he didn't have the guys to do it to either. You know what I mean? He didn't have the guys to check down with and, and, and stuff like that. Jonathan Stewart wasn't going to do that. The Samuel thing, I do see what people are saying because he, he is pretty versatile. But I just think, like, uh, like Elliot said, man, you don't take a guy that early. Kind of like, you know, even the Dalvin Cook thing where they traded up for him and Leonard Fournette and all these guys. You feel like no matter who's there, no matter what the situation is, they, they spent that that capital on him so that they're going to use him right. So we all agree. We like where he landed, even though, like Adam said, it may not be ideal in the perfect world. Um, I think it's better than the other guys where they landed as far as Fournette and all those guys, you know. So we'll see. The last one, Deshaun Watson will start this season. We'll start this season as the Texans starting quarterback. Foul or no foul, Adam. Foul. Uh, I, I honestly you? think that, yeah, I know. I mean, we've, we've heard it from you before. You like, damn I, I savage do truther. Like Sean Watson as, as a prospect. I think that, you know, he has a lot of quote unquote intangibles. Um, and I'm not going to deny that. I mean, you know, he, he won the BCS championship. He's a great leader. He obviously has those qualities that you want in a quarterback. And honestly, from like a metrics standpoint, quarterback is probably the position that to me, is the least important on the offensive side of the football to be a metric standout. The thing that I brought up before, though, that scares me about his ability is that he has the lowest throw velocity that we will ever see from starting quarterback over the last five years since throw velocity has been something that they've been keeping track of. So for me, it's, it's a big concern. And he wasn't a guy who in college was, you know, someone who never threw an interception. He turned the ball over a good bit and, NFL corners and NFL safeties and NFL linebackers are better than college safeties and corners and linebackers. So I think he's going to have the hardest time adjusting of the big three that got drafted in the first round. And honestly, the only one who I think is going to start year one is going to be Trubisky because of the amount of draft capital that they paid on him. And I don't even know if that's going to happen because they did go out and they in the offseason so for me, I think we could run into a season where none of these rookies are starting right away unless there's an injury. Um, Elliot, what do you think? Oh. You, you, you're going to argue with this one, man? Please argue with this one. Oh, yeah. You you just pressed the button. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what this is what I've been waiting for. So let's, let me double down real quick because <laughs> I put this on Twitter. <laughs> the Houston Texans will win one of the next two Super Bowls with Deshaun Watson as the quarterback. Oh, snap. 
He will not only start game one of the regular season, he will start three, uh, at least two playoff games this year. Oh, my he gosh. Will. Deshaun Watson's velocity is not something you saw on tape. He, he, he could zip the ball in there. He can throw to all levels. He's accurate. It's not pinpoint accuracy, but it's accurate. It's, it's better than some of these other guys. He did throw interceptions, but he also did more than any of these other quarterbacks. Um, I think Mark Schofield broke it down, and only six of the interceptions were actually his fault. Um, he comes from a spread system, but so do Mitch Trubisky and Patrick Mahomes. You know, I really like Deshaun Watson, and it's more than intangibles. I think it's his on-field play. It's his ability to read a defense. He recognizes zone coverages incredibly well. He processes information very well. He's He's a mobile quarterback, and while that's called dual threat, he doesn't run first. He moves in the pocket, keeps his eye down, eyes downfield. He's able to avoid rushers. He didn't play behind a great offensive line. He was able to share the ball. Um, while people say that he cut his reads in half, often before the play, he had check with me, changed things up. He, had, he did a lot of NFL things. He played a ton of games. Teams were were able to adjust to him over the course of three years, as opposed to Trubisky, where they had no adjustment time in the off season, and that's a huge thing. Um, Watson, and also the other thing is, this guy is money when it matters. Now I know QB. I don't believe that QB wins is a stat, but I believe that fourth quarter performances are. And I knew that he. I know that he threw 16 touchdowns and two interceptions in the fourth quarter this past year, and that every time his team needed him to make a play, he made a play. Um, Deshaun Watson is going to lead this Houston Texans team to the playoffs this year. I was running my mouth a little bit on the um, the Power Hour, and Johnny called me out, and so I put a, a large wager on the Houston Texans to win the Super Bowl this year. Um, this Texans team is set up to be the best in the AFC if Watson hits and I'm very confident that Watson hits. This team fits his skill set. He's got a Mike Williams to throw to in terms of DeAndre Hopkins, where he can throw contested balls uh, that he can trust Hopkins to come down with. He's been an accurate deep ball thrower, and Will Fuller gets deep. He works the middle of the field very well, and Braxton Miller in his second year should be much better at that. C.J. Fedorowicz is a capable tight end where that he can dump down to. He's got a good pass catching back in Lamar Miller. He's got a power back in Deontay Foreman. He's got a defense that's going to take pressure on him and not rely on him to do a whole lot. This Texans team is good. Deshaun Watson's going to start. He's going to beat out Savage, and he's going to play well. I love that. I love that, Elliot. Okay. I don't you even have to add deal. anything because so I, I love it. I'm not even going to add anything. I don't want to wrap up yet. I got questions. <laughs> honestly, I mean, this is why I love having somebody like Elliot on. He comes from a completely different perspective than me. And I think that there's a lot of people in the fantasy community that argue with people from different perspectives. And I love to argue, but I also love to learn. So biggest thing that I brought up was the throw velocity. And I know, Elliot, from speaking to you a little bit, that you kind of hate these one metric kind of approaches so i've got two questions for you i'll throw them both at you at the same time a the throw velocity being as low as it is i mean it'll be the lowest that we see from any starting quarterback in the nfl first and foremost does that impact it at all for you what do you think that means and and if it means nothing why does it mean nothing for you and then secondly from a draft capital perspective he did go behind trubisky and patrick mahomes so for you why do you think that he fell to third when there were a lot of people who like yourself, sounded like 
he was the quarterback to draft in this class. And ultimately, he probably got the best landing spot. So from a fantasy perspective, that can really vault him up if, if you believe in him. Um, but from a draft capital perspective, why do you think he fell to third? And, and if you could touch on the whole idea of throw velocity a little bit, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, Adam. It's, it's fun to have a conversation as opposed to just yell at people. Um, so the, the throw velocity, it's a, it's a very small sample size, right? I mean, a guy like Tyrod Taylor is considered he has a great arm and he had a 50-mile-per-hour velocity. Um, we look across the NFL, guys have had very successful careers. Tom Brady doesn't have a powerful arm. Peyton Manning was throwing ducks and 50 touchdowns. Chad Pennington was a big-time quarterback, and he didn't have velocity. Deshaun Watson's release is also the best in the class at .35 seconds, which matches Aaron Rodgers. His ability to anticipate, read, read coverages very quickly, and get the ball out quicker than any other quarterback is going to impact his velocity. I mean, we saw Patrick Mahomes throw 60 miles per hour on NFL Network, and it went 10 feet over the guy's head. I, I just feel like when you watch Watson, you don't have questions on his velocity. He's getting the ball where it needs to go, and he's throwing it with zip. And I, it's just really not something that particularly concerns me, specifically when, you know, most quarterbacks fail, right? Can we, can we talk about that? Like, most quarterbacks fail, and if we're now going to have a metric where, well, none of these guys were good, you also look at that list, none of those guys were really supposed to be good. And there are plenty of guys with good velocity that didn't do well. So, I don't know, when you watch his tape, when you add in his ability to process information quickly, his quick release, um, even if, let's say, his true velocity on the field is 53, 54. I know I talked to a couple guys at PFF, and they told me they thought it was more in the 56, 57, not super strong, but good enough. Um, I, it, it's not something that bothers me at all. So now, do you just think that, sorry, just to touch on that a little bit, do you just think that the 45 was just wrong? Or, I, was, I, mean, I thought 49. Okay, so, so 45 and 49 had both been reported. Either way, I mean, it would put him at the lowest as a starting quarterback, except for potentially if Mike Lennon does start for the Bears. I mean, you touched on Tyrod Taylor a little bit. That's 50 miles an hour. If he's 49 versus 50, I mean, that's pretty negligible. But a lot of other guys that you touched on there, I mean, we're talking guys who are in like the mid-50s. We're not talking guys who are literally throwing the ball potentially 10 miles an hour slower than that. And, you know, this is kind of a new metric. So as far as charting it, there there is that potential for – it not being entirely accurate. So there definitely is that that issue here. Um, would, but, would you also say that it's fair that it's, you know, it's one given day? Yeah, I mean, that, that's like true. I, I was a that, that very much can be the point. And I think that that's the struggle with metrics and, and with the combine as well, just in general. I mean, there are those people who feel like, you know, Dalvin Cook, for instance, he had a bad combine, but there are people who watch his film and think that he's an elite prospect and he got drafted as such. You know, he went as the third running back overall. And there were people who, even though he had a really, really poor combine, still believe that he would be a successful NFL player. And I think that that's kind of where the whole film metrics debate kind of gets tossed up and and both become valid and both become important because obviously NFL teams do focus on both. Uh, for me, the throw velocity thing, it, it never really has been like a, you know, you have to have a great f throw velocity to be successful. As you touched on, I mean, there are guys who have great flow velocities who, who are terrible. For me, it was more a, this is the lowest we've seen, and can he overcome that? And I think you touched on a lot of reasons that he could overcome that. 
I don't know if I'm a believer, but definitely it's something that I, I'm more interested in learning about than I was before. I just think that before this year, I hadn't heard that much about it to begin with. It's a very small sample size, and now people were starting to act like it's the end-all, be-all. Now, I heard and a couple NFL scouts, scouts comment on it, and they were like, I mean, it opened our eyes. We didn't love it, but at the end of the day, like we see them throw the football, and we trust it. And the, the point I was going to make to you is um, it's really interesting when we talk about the combine um, and we, we assume that those are the raw numbers. I know like sports science, for example, did the whole study on guys and how they play in pads. And Mike Williams and A.J. Green's athleticism were considered identical, and that upset a lot of people. Um, Dalvin Cook ran the first 20 yards as fast in pads as John Ross did. Um, I think one other, one other important point is like with the 40-yard dash, for example, that's it's that's the easiest thing to quote where people just understand. It's probably the least important thing as well in my eyes because you're very rarely running 40 yards straight. But sometimes those guys do that drill first, right? And they're fresh and they're going. Sometimes it's the last thing they do in their day and they're tired, you know. And with with a throw velocity, I can just say like some days, like as a pitcher in high school, I'm, I wasn't great by any means, but some days I could throw like 84, and some days I was hitting 78. You know, like some days you just don't, you don't have it with your velocity. And it was really interesting because the on-field drills, everyone said that Watson looked the best. His throws were the best. They were on point, on time. His mechanics were great. And everyone thought he won the combine. And then the velocity came out and then people were like, eh, now we don't like him. I think that we can almost get to the point with, with metrics and trying to find new things where it becomes like paralysis by analysis. You know what I mean? Where it's like we, we're now trying to process so many different points of information over the course of four months. And with Watson, it's much longer because he's been the guy for two years now that everybody's looked to in this class. Um, where we really just start trying to figure out what every little thing means when sometimes little things don't mean much, if anything at all. Um, I would worry about it a lot more if I saw it on tape as much as the, the number would suggest you would see it where you don't and his release and anticipation really helps him with any lack of arm strength like he doesn't have Patrick Mahomes arm I'm not going to pretend that he does but I don't think his arm's going to be a reason why he can't be successful in the NFL definitely and really quick if you could just touch on why you think then that he did fall to, to third as far as being drafted it, it, amongst quarterbacks um, well I think Patrick Mahomes went above him because he was considered he was considered the highest ceiling. So the draft is always a little tricky in terms of who goes first, in terms of what fit is best for a quarterback. I think Patrick Mahomes went ahead of him. The Chiefs were rumored to love his upside, um, and Mahomes has the highest upside of any quarterback in this class with his arm talent. Uh, the Bears clearly love Trubisky. There are a lot of reports that the Niners liked Watson, but didn't want to take him at three. I heard the Bear, the Browns wanted uh, liked him some, but didn't want to trade up for him. And when he fell there at twelve, the value for the Texans they decided was worth more than the, the um, than the pick itself. Um, I, I think it it kind of worked out where every quarterback, or specifically Mahomes and Watson, felt ideal situations for them. I don't necessarily agree with NFL teams in terms of the order they were picked. I would have gone Watson, Trubisky, then Mahomes. But 
you know, they, they kind of fell with teams that fit their skill set. So I think at the end of the day, it, it all worked out. That makes sense. It does make sense. I don't know. I think Deshaun Watson, I agree with what you said, Elliot, as far as uh, I just think he's a leader, a winner, and like it all just like, like, you know, everything you said, it all translates. And I think, you know, he's, he's in a perfect situation, man, with the Texans. So we'll yeah, see. One thing, I, one thing I'll say about Watson or just quarterback play in general is I know we focus a lot on metrics, but like that's one where intangibles have to play a factor into it because players talk about it all the time like that leader of men thing is a huge right thing. right that's what i'm saying um and he's got that like th- they talk about the it factor with quarterbacks and he he certainly has the it factor yeah so i i agree especially like you said quarterbacks certain players and certain guys just have it so um we'll, we'll, we'll see man but i think you're right on this one but we'll see adam you never know where you never know um well i mean listen that that's all i have for today as far as all the stuff that we had jammed into this as far as the rookies, the draft, all this kind of stuff. I think we covered a lot of ground, all different positions. Um, Certainly appreciate you coming on, Elliot, and and sharing all this information with us. Um, For those who are listening who may not know your work or where to find it or or how to follow you and all that kind of stuff, can you kind of plug some of those things, the sites, the the social media handles, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Elliot Crist, E-L-I-O-T-C-R-I-S-T. Um, you can find my work on Pro Football Focus. Um, coming out with ev- every day a new little um, Jets information and kind of using some of our stats to talk about different players and, and things to look forward to. NDT scouting, I'm having constant things out. There's a lot of there's a lot of draft recap player profiles on there. Um, if you're interested in my thoughts on Baylor players uh, and the system in general, that's on there. Um, and then my opinions on running backs and receivers. I teamed up with Matt Miller on Bleacher Report, and you can find my stuff on the NFL 400 along with his and my workers kind of combined on those two. Gotcha. Perfect. Um, Adam, let him know where to find you really fast in case anyone new is listening and don't know where to find you. Yeah, for sure, everybody. If uh, if you ever want to talk to me on Twitter, I'm at the other FF guy. If we can keep the conversation going on there, it just makes it that much more fun. So hit me up. Yep, for sure. And I'm at Clock Dodgers, of course, if you're not following, you should be because you're listening and you should be already following. Um, Elliot, before before we close this thing out, um, I always like to ask the guests to close it out for us, basically. So um, if you can give some kind of some kind of message here to close this thing out, it can be fantasy football related. Um, I always preface that it doesn't have to be, though. Um, so if you want to go another route with anything, you're, you're more than welcome to. But um, just kind of give the uh, clock dodger listeners out there something to uh you know to to remember here if it's if it's just one thing this is what they're going to go on no pressure but um (laughs) listen i really appreciate you guys having me i had a great time i love to talk football and and i I think what we hit what we had here today was we had a metrics guy and a stats guy uh, sorry metrics guy and a film guy and you know we, we talked about everything but everything was a civil conversation where we try to pick the other person's brain and understand their way of thinking and i really think if as a fantasy football community if we could try to go in that direction it would really help us instead of trying to attack people and just say i'm right i'm right you're an idiot and just push people down i I really think building up a community in general and increasing the intelligence of the football fan would be something that would be fantastic and i think we we made progress towards that goal here today 
Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? Yeah, man, I mean, I, I, that's a great message. And I agree with you. I mean, as far as, you know, Adam Metrics, your film, I'm in between, you know? So it's like, the, you don't, you can either be one side or the other and kind of, you know, believe harder on one of those, or you can kind of sit in between like I am and just, I love both sides as far as I see the benefit of each side, you know? So you can, you can go whichever way you want, but like you said, the, the sharing of information, the, the conversation, um, of seeing it two different ways instead of just your only, only your angle, uh, is important, man. So, um, I appreciate that as the, uh, as the closing message. Um, we had a lot of fun here, man. I had a lot of fun, Elliot. You're always welcome back. So, you know, we look forward to hearing from you again. Um, thank you again, man, for uh, taking time out of your day to, to share with us. Of course. All right, man. You guys have a good day, Adam. Have a good one as well. Yeah, take care, everybody. All right, Clock Dodgers. Thank you guys for making it this far. You made it all the way to the end. Guess what that means? That means you get to hear the second contest question. That's right. I got a bunch of responses on the first one. Um, so thank you, everybody, that, that sent those in. And I know some of you are holding them to the end. That's totally fine. Again, whoever gets the first, whoever gets all three answers to me first is the one who wins. So I've been keeping track of everybody. But of course, the one who gets all three to me first is who wins. So there's not three winners. There's not anything else. It's whoever gets the first, all three answers to me first wins. So you, you got last week's. If you, if you, and if you, this, this is the great thing about this game. If you haven't sent me last week's, it's okay. You can still go back, listen to that episode, and still jump in on the fun before you fall too far behind. So you're still involved if you didn't play last week. Just go back, listen to last week's episode, find the question, find the answer, and hold it and wait till you get the third one or send it to me and just let me know. That way I know you're involved in the game because I am keeping track of it. Um, so the question for this week, Elliot has a wide receiver preference in this draft between the top two guys. He's had arguments and debates on Twitter about it. He's talked to us about it on this episode, of course, because that's why I'm asking you the question. Between the two wide receivers who most considered the best in the class, Corey Davis and Mike Williams, which one does Elliot like more? He likes one more. Even if only by a slight hair, he still likes one more. So I need you to tell me which one he likes more. That's as simple as it is. Just send me again, like I like like last week's episode. Um, send me an email, send me a, a DM on Twitter, send me a message on Fancy Life app, um, Instagram, uh, a, a, any of the apps that we're on together. Email at clockdodgers at gmail.com, Instagram at clockdodgers, Twitter at clockdodgers, um, Fancy Life app at profit. How, however you want to do it, um, just send, send the message. Again, the question. Elliot likes one of these receivers more than the other. They're kind of 1A and 1B. It's super close, but he likes, is it Corey Davis that he likes or is it Mike Williams that he likes more? Send that to me and you will have the second answer for the contest. Remember, the winner who gets all three questions to me first is going to win a Clock Dodgers mug. The first official Clock Dodgers mug ever. You're going to have it. So, it's, it's great. It's great. Just send your answers or hold them to the end, whatever you want to do. Um, first person on all three wins. Besides that, guys, this was a fun recap. This was a fun recap. Elliot will be back. Don't worry, guys. So if you have, <clears throat> with, all, with, all, with all the guests, I always want you guys to remember, if you have any questions, 
for the guest, if there's something you didn't agree with about the guest, if you, if, you know, for, for the next time they come back, if there's a question that you had or a topic you wanted that person to discuss with us and kind of us debate it, um, send that to me also. I mean, you're a part of this conversation. The conversation is for you. It's for us. You know what I mean? So um, be, as, be as much a part of it as you can because that's what makes this thing fun. It's what makes it better. Um, so anytime you have any questions or anything for the guest, feel free to send us or, of course, you know, you, we always make it very clear that you get their Twitter and everything. Um, you can always hit them up directly on there. Let them know you heard them on the Clock Dodgers podcast. You know, show us a little love. Let them know where you're coming from. Let them know you're a Clock Dodger and uh, let them know. Hit them up. You got any questions? And anybody who's ever been on this show, I promise you, is, is cool as shit. So you can, they're always approachable on Twitter or by email or whatever their form of, uh, of socializing is. Um, they're always available. If you can't get in touch with them, hit me up. I'll make it happen. Uh, but definitely, Elliot Chris knows his stuff, man. The guy does his work. Whether whether you agree with it or not, whether you're you know this metrics guy and you don't agree with it, that's fine. But you got to pay respect uh, to people who put in work uh, and, and do their thing because he does put a lot of time into it. And, and shout out to him again. We really appreciate Elliot for coming on. He will be back on again at some point here. Uh, but guys, that draft was. That draft was fun. And I know you guys, if you're doing your dynasty rookie drafts right now, which I'm taking a part in a couple of them, um, they're super fun. Th- that This episode was super helpful. I hope hoped for you um, in that regard. Um, but if you do have any direct questions about it, uh, again, feel free to hit us up, any one of us, in any of those places um, that we mentioned earlier. Don't forget to click out, check out cloudodgers.com because there are a lot of cool episodes up there. The Fresh Meat articles by At Two Drink Minimum, uh, Jason, those are up. And he keeps putting new ones up there, recaps of the draft as far as uh, the fancy relevant guys and what he feels about them, his, his little takes on them. Um, so always check that, those out. Uh, we continue to have different kind of rankings that will be updated. Uh, more, more and more things are coming. If you're interested in contributing to cloudodders.com, hit me up. You got to hit me up because thing it gets tight right i mean certain topics especially fantasy football sports there's a lot of people who want to you know to to contribute in that fashion um if you know anyone or yourself you're interested in like entertainment like pop culture tvs movies games any of that definitely hit me up fitness anything at all like even if it sounds stupid to you it's not really stupid because there's a lot of people who also do it beside you so hit me up clock dodgers is a place a catch-all you know what I mean? That's where you go to dodge the clock, baby. Your passions, your motivations. This is where we're at. Clockdodgers.com. Bookmark that bad boy. We're going to have shirts for sale soon, guys. For a good cause, though. So check. Be, be on the lookout for those. The wristbands are always on sale on the site. Might drop the price down a little bit um, to get those out there some more. So look for a sale on those as well. All kinds of stuff, guys. All kinds of stuff. But the most important thing is you. Your 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 DMs on Twitter, your messages on Twitter, your Instagram hits. Uh, when you when you hit me up on Instagram on the Messenger and and on the on these different apps and Twitter and all these places, man, that's what makes this thing so great. Um, so shout out to everybody who's been involved. Shout out again if you made it this far. As I always tell you, and only you guys know, only, only the ones who make it this far know that you're the shit. Because you're the only ones that hear me tell you it. It's just a reminder, just a quick reminder. You're the shit. All right? You deserve to know that. 
Later, guys. Visit ClockDodgers.com for more unique content. Connect with us now by following at ClockDodgers on Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope.
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.